Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Jeffrey Gittimer, author of 21 and a Half Unbreakable Laws of Selling, Proven Actions You Must Take to Make Easier, Faster, Bigger Sales, Now and Forever. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Jeffrey Gittimer, author of 21 and a Half Unbreakable Laws of Selling, Proven Actions You Must Take to Make Easier, Faster, Bigger Sales, Now and Forever. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Jeffrey Gittimer, Chief Executive Salesman and New York Times bestselling author, shares with us his insights on the 21 and a half laws of selling that when followed will lead to easier, faster, and bigger sales. So now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Jeffrey Gittimer author of 21 and a Half Unbreakable Laws of Selling, Proven Actions You Must Take to Make Easier, Faster, Bigger Sales, Now and Forever. Jeffrey is one of the most sought-after international and inspirational speakers in the world, having delivered thousands of corporate and public seminars to the largest national and multinational corporations. His Little Red Book of Selling, is the best-selling sales book of all time, appearing on the national bestseller lists in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Business Week more than 300 times. Jeffrey is also a strategy-driven principal contributor, sharing invaluable insights with us on sales, business, and leadership every Monday. Jeffrey, welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast. Thank you very kindly. It's so nice to be here. You know, one of the most interesting the things show. about podcasts is two people can do them from anywhere. I've actually had podcasts where I've had one of my interviewees in London, and then the other was over in India. Oh, wow. We've done truly global podcasts. That's pretty interesting. I love yeah. that kind of Now, stuff. you and I aren't, aren't so far apart. I believe you're in Charlotte, and I'm here in Atlanta. We're I-85 apart. Yes, and about three hours drive time. Uh, depending. If you hit Atlanta at the wrong time, it's five hours. Uh, that's true, too. That's true, too. Well, Jeffrey, to start out our discussion today on your new book, The 21 and a Half Unbreakable Laws of Selling, I wanted to start out by asking you, why unbreakable laws? Why not rules or guidelines for selling? I think in sales, too many salespeople try to create their own laws. There's rules that you can, you know, there's rules about handshaking or greeting. You can bend those rules. You can even break those rules. But the laws 
baby, you cannot break the laws without some kind of consequence, and it pretty much costs you sales. For example, um, believing before you can succeed, that's a law. If you don't believe in what you do, you're out. Discover the sales per discover the customer's why. What is their motive to buy? What what is what is what why are they what's their urgency, their sense of urgency? That's a law. Exchanging loyalty, that's a law. If you don't have loyalty, you have nothing. Satisfied customers are the most worthless pe people on the planet. You know, you get a satisfied customer at an airline. Are you really loyal to that airline? So I look at these things as unbreakable, unmovable rocks in a salesperson's physical and mental makeup so that when they walk into the sale, they have the power of these laws as their foundation, and they go from there. If you master these laws, you are going to walk into any sales call you could ever hope for, and you're going to have that self-confidence swagger that allows that self-confidence to be transferable to the prospect. Jeffrey, I'm assuming that you know, a lot of that self-confidence and, and that swagger comes from practice. Right. That's why I talked about mastery rather than simply proficiency. If you can understand, the easiest way for me to, to explain it to you is through um, the metaphor of a song. If you hear a song that you like, you tap your foot. After you hear it five times, you can kind of sing along with the song. But after you hear that song ten times, you can sing it in the shower by yourself, sing the chorus, and, and you know it. You've mastered it. And that's the same in sales. You can have a strategy and you can know a technique, but until you've done it 10 times, maybe 20 times, you're never going to master it. And it's the same with these laws. I've created an online course. Uh, if you go to Gitomer, V-T, G-I-T-O-M-E-R-V, like uh, virtual T, like training, if you go to GitomerVT.com, you're going to find this laws course available for you to master. You can take it 10 times. You can take it 100 times. And that's the way a salesperson gets to their next level of success, by mastering principles through repetition. Jeffrey, one of the things that you talked about in the book that you repeated over and over again and, and struck me as important is about the concept of perception, both the perception that the customer has and the perception of the salesperson themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, could you explain why perception is so important to the sales process? Well, let's start with the salesperson. You walk in the bathroom in the morning and you're facing the most important person in the world in the mirror. What's your perception of that guy? Are you happy with yourself? Are you smiling at yourself? Do you like the way you look? Do you like how you feel? Do you like what your circumstance is? Do you love your job? Do you love your family? Those are, in, those are elements that get you going in the morning. Then you get to your customer's place, either on the phone or face-to-face, What's their perception of you? What's their perception? For, for example, most salespeople have a value proposition. And my question is, really valuable to who? Because if the customer perceives there's no value there, then there's no value. Who's your website in terms of? What's the perceived level of trust that you have? What's the perceived level of, of communication that you have? That's everything. If, if, I'm, if I'm wanting to, to be uh, trustworthy, then the customer has to perceive that I'm trustworthy. If I want to give value, then the customer has to perceive that it's value, otherwise you're out. And if I want to be different from my competition, if my customer doesn't perceive that I'm different, then there is no difference. That perception, the customer's perception, 
is the salesperson's reality, and there's no way to eliminate that. And Jeffrey, you mentioned about value to whom. I'm sensing that a lot of times salespeople go in and, and there's what they're presenting is value to them, but not necessarily value to the customer. Right. I, I recommend to all salespeople, if you have a set of slides that your marketing department has prepared for you, delete them because they're not going to provide any value to the customer. It's all a bunch of wee-wee stuff. We do this, we do that, we, 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 we. And the customer doesn't care about that. I mean, the customer doesn't care about that at all. They only care about how they win and how they profit and how they produce and how it affects morale and how easy it is to do business with you. Yet the salesperson's got to stand there ad nauseum and go through a bunch of crap that, the, that most customers could Google and find out better answers in five seconds. Harsh reality, but it's reality. Well, it is. And I, and I know the business that I'm in, um, you know, the, the consulting business, uh, we tend to reuse the same slide work over and over and over and over again. Why? You want that customer to go online and brag about you. Best consultant I ever had, different from every other consultant I've ever done business with. The guys made me money. The guys made me happier. The guys made me spend more time with my family. Oh, I was a bunch of crap. Other than your, your invoice. I bet they're always correct. Well, those, those tend to always be correct, yes. Exactly. <laughs> the question is, how does your customer perceive your correctness? How well do they uh, agree with you? To me, I'm gonna, uh, let me give you an aside. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do has to be transferable in the mind of that customer or in the mind of that audience. The customer has to say, once they've listened to you, I get it, I agree with it, I think I can do this. I'm willing to try it. That is a transferable message, concept, presentation, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and unless that exists, you as a salesperson have nothing. Or the customer will say some kind of crap like, send me a proposal. This sounds good. Oh, it doesn't sound good. The guy's trying to get rid of you. All proposals are wasted. I found that if we're down to responding to an RFP, we've already lost. Well, here's the deal. Um, I, I do consulting from time to time. I was talking to the CEO, and we're, for an hour we're talking, and he says, this sounds great. Can you send me a proposal? I said, no. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, were you taking notes? He goes, yeah, I was taking a lot of notes. I said, look, give me the piece of paper. I'll sign the notes, and we can start. And, and he did. <laughs> and wow. that's the whole deal. You, can't, you cannot... Um, have a situation where the customer puts you off, postpones you. Otherwise, you're toast. Yes. Now, Jeffrey, in, in your book, in several places, you talk about buying decisions being made emotionally and then people following up with a, a logical justification afterwards. What does it mean to make an emotional sale and what does that look like? Well, think about it this way. When you go to buy a car, you buy it because of the size of the engine or the size of the gas tank? Or do you buy it based on the fact that you love the look of the car and the, and the color of the car and the fact that it's going to take you back and forth to work safely or your child safely someplace? Yeah, it's Yet, always the latter. Of course. Yet the, the sales guy will focus on how much a month it is. You know, I don't care how much a month it is. I want a safe car. 
It's, it's $20 a month, but you're going to get a flat tire once a week. That's not what I want. Oh, and by the way, it's not included in service. That's not what I want. Oh, and by the way, you're going to get the worst gas miles in the history of mankind. That's not what I want. So when I walk in for any purchase, I look for the emotional reasons of why I'm going to buy this. I love this car. Then I'm going to ask how much is it. I love this house. Then I'm going to ask my, my spouse if, he, if she thinks we can afford it. I love this sweater. I love this shirt. Then I'm going to look at the price tag. But you don't even look at the price tag of something that you don't love. Right. And that's, you know, that's the easiest way that I can explain it to you. You'll look at the price tag once you think you have an interest. Jeffrey, my next question, and I'm going to change topics just a little bit here, because I know it's something that you talk about a lot, and that is the topic of social media. And it's become such a driving force in today's culture and, and popular trends. What do you see as social media's role in the sales process, and, and is it applicable to all industries? Well, here's the deal. Social media is not the new, new thing. Social media is the thing. It's a way that you can interact with your customers one-on-one, it's a way that you can prove the value of whatever it is that you have to say. It's a way that you can offer valuable information to the marketplace. And most people are not taking advantage of it. They're, they're worried about, well, what happens if somebody says something bad about you? Like, dude, they're going to say something bad about you whether you're there or not. They go to their own Facebook page and post what an idiot you are so, or what a poor product you have. So I'm, I'm looking at it uh, as as a mandatory imperative of what it is that you're trying to accomplish in your business and that social media is the support arm for it. Social media is the proof arm for it. And why companies avoid it? Well, half companies avoid it because their lawyers tell them to. Yes. You know, Shakespeare had it right. At first, kill all the lawyers. And then, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get a lawsuit? They're going to, they make more money. They should encourage social media. But the bottom line is that every individual, every individual salesperson can be their own social media person with or without your company. You can build your own brand with or without your, your, your company. You start a Facebook page. You start a Twitter account. You start a YouTube channel. You start a LinkedIn page. And that becomes your world. Literally, my social media is now my new world. And I've made it that way on purpose. There's no accidental social media. You've got to wake up in the morning and do something, and before you go to bed at night, you've got to do something. I recommend people spend an hour to two hours a day building their social media following and building their, their social media prowess. And Jeffrey, if I'm not mistaken, your recommendation is not only that you build a social media following for your business, but a person should do it for their own personal brand. Oh, yeah. Listen, if, Nathan, here's the deal. If somebody loses a job, the first thing they want to do is update their resume. Huh? Resumes are over. You better have testimonials posted about you on, on YouTube. You better have your own resume on YouTube. I don't want to read about a bunch of crap that you've done. Of, you know, I've handled scheduling or I've made 28% increase in sales. I want your customers to come on and say what a great guy you are. I don't want to know your high school gym teacher thought you were a good guy. I want to know what your customers think, and I want to see it in video. So I had a couple questions around video and video testimonials. 
in, in the book, you talk about that it's inappropriate to ask for a referral. Someone should always earn a referral. Right, and let it's me stop same... you and just say this. If you make a sale and you ask a customer for a referral and they don't give you one, and then you call them again and ask them again and remind them, they will never take your call again, ever, because you're perceived as a taker. And yeah, maybe you'll get a couple of referrals from people that you push, but they don't like you. And if they don't like you, they're not going to do business with you again. Asking for a referral is the single rudest thing that you can do, in my opinion. There are people that are out there preaching, you got to ask for referrals because customers won't do it on their own. Customers won't do it on their own because you sucked. Customers won't do it on your own because you haven't earned it. And I'm, I'm of the opinion that the sales guy's easiest way out is to ask for a referral or, as I refer to it, begging for a referral. Why don't you give a few referrals? That might be a better way. Okay, keep going. My question was around testimonials. Does the same rule apply to testimonials? Sure, but you can ask a customer for an interview, and you can ask the customer why they chose you. There's nothing wrong with that. You can ask your customer what their history has been. You can talk to them about other things, why they, what's their leadership philosophy. You can post that up on your blog if you had one, if you had right. one. And I mentioned blogs are also free, and all the social media is free. Yeah. Not expensive to do. Or you can put an ad in the newspaper. A lot of good that's going to do. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just, that whole medium is over. It's totally over. Why would I bother with a newspaper ad that's going to appear for a moment when I can have a social media site that's going to appear forever? Oh, yeah. And, and like you said, it's all free. And you know what? All my customers are following me on social media anyway. All i got to do is make an announcement. And I can do it in video for nothing. All i got to do is use my iPad. Yeah. Listen, the newspapers are all broke. There's a reason. And the reason is less people are placing advertisements. Yes, the economy's coming back. Yes, the, the, the rate of ads are, are going up. But you know what? There's a plateau. And every day, social media or Mother Google makes that plateau lower. I was just at a conference, and no one had business cards. Everyone was connecting on LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I had the same thing happen to me. People bumped me, and, and it was pretty interesting. Like, I immediately linked with them. The, the problem is, I kind of like the business card. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I would like to have both. I'll bump anybody. I'll, you know, I'll link with anybody. But I want to have that, that business card so that I can write a little note on the back of it and either give it to someone else or keep it for myself to remind me of what i got to do. That's because I'm old. Young kids, they probably don't care about them. Before I leave the video testimonials, how do you go about recording them? Is that a studio production, or, or can you do it with your smartphone? And the answer is yes. You can do it with anything. And, and I have found over time, the more raw it is, the more authentic it looks. Like maybe you're in okay. front of this guy's copy machine or in front of the car that he bought or in front of his, his store that he rented from you, and you just take a video of him and you together going, why did you do this? Why did you buy this? And w would, you, would you recommend somebody buy from us? Why would you recommend that? If they called you and said tomorrow, buy from, uh, you know, this guy Bob Smith says I should buy from him, why should I do this? What would you tell them? 
and just record that. That's the easiest thing on the planet. Oh, here's the deal, there, Nathan. If you don't have a relationship with that guy, he's not going to say okay. If the guy says okay, it's because you built a relationship. So, Jeffrey, I'm an engineer by trade. As an engineer, I have that engineer personality. I am really comfortable with step-by-step processes and procedures. So, you know, as I was reading the uh, 21 and a half Unbreakable Laws of Selling, I was taking notes because I could see how I could put these things into my own sales process and, and incorporate them into how I do business. Okay, I agree with that. Okay, how do you see people systematizing your books? I think it's the dumbest thing you can do. Okay. The reason I think it's stupid is because all systems have at their core manipulation. Ah, okay. You walk into somebody's place of business and the first thing you do is size shit up and see how it fits and then you ask a bunch of insincere questions and then you begin to, and that's called probing. Probing is something that happens at a doctor's office against your will. And what, what happened at the, at the doctor's, Nathan? Well, they probed me. And then you, you go into some kind of manipulative close after you make a boring presentation, and then you, you you're, make sure you qualify the buyer, and then you follow up and do something stupid. I'm against that. I just want to like the other person, get into a conversation with them, extract what they believe is valuable to them, make some kind of, of emotional connection with them, and they'll buy from you. You know, okay. you know do you, do you, what, seriously, seriously, when you go someplace, are you waiting for someone to close you, or did you really go to buy it? Right. You, you went there on a mission. You want to buy a book. You want to buy a frame for your photograph. You want to buy uh, some art supplies. You want to buy a donut. Whatever it is that you want to buy that day, you're on a mission. I mean, you walk into the bakery and say, give me a half a dozen donuts. Well, wait, close me first. Right. No, it doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> it doesn't happen. And you tell that you know, the, the bakery concept is not bad because you tell that clerk exactly what you want. No, no, no. I don't want that front one. I want the one in the back with more icing on it. Don't you? Oh, yeah. I always do. Of course you do. Everyone does. Yeah. A bakery will get you exactly what you want. No, I, I, want, the, I want the bread without the seeds on the top of it. No, I want the bread with the seeds. No, I want the stuff that was just baked today. You tell that person exactly what you want. And you get, you go into a sales presentation and you start to tell the customer what you have. I don't care what you have. I, I, I called the other day to, I don't want to name the brand of Mercedes because it wouldn't be fair to them. But I, I, I said, we're interested in a white one. And the guy said, well, is, is there any other color? I go, what, what part of white do you not understand? Yeah. White. Ask a ask a non dumb question. Why don't you just say why? What is what does white mean to you? Why don't you ask that question? White's the perfect color because it matches everything and it's bright and it's easy to clean. La di da. Oh great. So let me make sure I got this down. You want white, correct? Yes. Yes. Why are you asking me? But well, we have a blue one. Then stuff the blue one. I want a white one. Call somebody has got a white one. Trade them. But car salespeople are trained to try to get the customer to take what they've got. They're trained to give the guy something he doesn't want. Yes. 
That's crazy. Which is probably why I go back to my Mercedes dealer, because she takes notes of everything I say that I like in a car and want in a car over the course of my, my lease or ownership period. So when I go to see her, she tells me, you said you wanted these things and I can make this happen for you. I'll trade for it. I went to the Mercedes dealer and told him exactly the same thing, but it turns out I wanted a Lexus. <laughs> ah. I didn't have one. I should introduce you to my Mercedes dealer. But they well, actually, I'm pretty happy with I'm I'm a Hendrix Lexus customer in Charlotte. Ah, okay. Hendrix Lexus. Well, my wife drives one of those, too. They're the best, most accommodating automobile dealer I've ever met. Yeah. I'll tell you something interesting, though. Um, one of the brands of cars is my customer, and I go and I talk to them. And they had, the average dealer has 1,000 people a month leaving their service bay or leaving their place of business with a new car or a used car or a serviced car. And I asked that audience, okay, of all the people that you have leaving your car lot, happy as hell, how many videos do you have of those people? And the answer was none. Universally, none. What kind of morons are they? What kind of stupid idiots are they not to memorialize gratified, happy, ecstatic customers? Not satisfied, gratified, happy, ecstatic, referable customers. Or then they go to the newspaper and they put an ad in for $4.99 a month. You can lease this car with no money down, 36 months with your trade, all that kind of crap. I don't right. care about that. I want a car I love. Yeah. I, I want a car that I'm proud of to drive around the neighborhood. That's emotion. The rest of it is logic. And I'm turned off. But, you know, logic. a logical buyer will come in, and the first thing they want to do is hammer your price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nathan, your consulting service sounds fine. $1,000 an hour, can we do it for 900 Right. No, I won't do it for 900 Oh, you want that crappy consultant? Let me give you his phone number. Yeah. We'll do it for 500 I don't, that's not what I want to do. I, I want to be the best at what I do and known as the best. That's why I publish books. Mm -hmm. Other sales trainers read my books and I'm not reading theirs if they have one. Well, I love your books because from cover to cover, they are just packed Thanks. with great, what I call immediately actionable information. And may I just interrupt here and say that you, sir, are an excellent judge. Well, thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. But here, listen, here's the deal. I'm actually getting you to think emotionally, and, you're a, and you are at the core a logical thinker. That's right. So I, I want to make sure that you understand that you can double your sales by going to the dark side and trying to engage your customer a little bit more emotionally so they can see what the potential outcome will be, not what the process is. When I talk to customers, I want them to visualize taking ownership not what my stuff consists of. And from an engineering perspective, you typically want to say what your stuff consists of, when in fact the That's other right. guy wants to know what the outcome is going to be. I can see that difference. It's going to, I'm going to have to work on going over to the dark Of course side you do, but it, and it's because it's not natural to you. But I can right. promise you it's what the customer is hoping for. The customer is hoping for an outcome, not a process. Right, because that's what really means something to them. They want to buy toast, not a toaster. Yeah, and, and I want to find out what they're hoping that outcome is. That's one of the first things I ask. Even when I'm in, you know, I'm going to be giving this seminar in Atlanta. You can come, by the way. It's, it's, uh, um, it'll be too late for this podcast, but 
Thursday night and Friday morning are two seminars. You should show up. Well, thank you. And but understand that that the first thing I ask my audience is, what are you hoping for today? Everyone came here with an idea. I want to know what are you hoping for today? Because if I can get you what you're hoping for, you're going to leave here ecstatic. Yes. That's the whole deal. That is the whole deal. Well, Jeffrey, I want to thank you for taking the time today to, to talk with me and allow me to interview you on your new book, The 21 and a Half Unbreakable Laws of Selling. As I mentioned before, I love, well, I love all of your books because thank of you. the implementable information you provide. When I was reading the, the book for this interview, I probably had more notes on things that I need to start doing differently than I had interview questions to ask you. So I Thank really you. loved your book. I Thank hope you very much. You're welcome. I hope our audience is going to pick up a copy. More importantly, though, I hope they take to heart and implement the methods and the approaches that you've suggested because I think it's going to help them take their sales process to the next level. I'm, so I'm thank you very them. much. That's why I do these interviews. I want to make sure that people can at least be exposed to what it is that I do, and perhaps they'll have the incentive to take advantage of it. I hope so. And, and we'll get this out to our thousands of listeners and readers, and I'll also include a link on the article that accompanies the podcast directly to your website so they have an easy way to Thank come you. and see your additional resources, including your training. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Jeffrey Gittimer for being with us today and sharing his immediately implementable insights on achieving extraordinary selling success. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review for our podcast on iTunes and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Jeffrey Gittimer and the 21 and a half unbreakable laws of selling at www.gittimer.com. Until next time, so long.